Hey y'all, welcome back to episode four of Healthy and Then Happy, where anything goes, but I mainly talk about the importance of prioritizing your overall health, nutrition, and training in order to live your happiest life every day. Today's topic is one that I'm really excited about and one that I feel like I've advocated for and brought up a lot on my platform over the last couple of years since I started researching it. And that is combating hormone imbalances and nutrient deficiencies. The first kind of half of this episode, I'm going to talk about hormone imbalances and then I'll kind of dive more into the nutrient deficiencies. They're really separate topics, but there's a lot that goes into both. And I probably will do separate episodes on them later and kind of just dive deeper into both. But I want to do a little blanket episode almost to cover both and get people listening and talking about the topics of these two because I think that there are things that are overlooked in a lot of people's health and fitness journeys is their hormones and down to nutrients, micronutrients and things like that. They're very important things to focus on. Obviously, you've got your main factors of living a healthier life and staying hydrated and eating right and getting in the gym and getting moving and things like that. But there's also things that are much deeper down to a more biological level that people don't know or understand and even some of our medical professionals don't understand entirely or at least they don't show that they do in the advice that they give patients. So I kind of just wanted to almost introduce this topic to everybody today and a lot of the topics in this episode apply to both men and women but I'm going to highlight a lot of women's health issues uh, today when talking about hormones as well as relating them to my own experiences too. I think it's no secret that women are so understudied in medicine. I feel like people talk about that a lot that we're understudied and a lot of it is because we're considered to be too complex. I mean starting off by mentioning that the male and female hormone cycles are just entirely different. The male hormone cycle is 24 hours of testosterone fluctuating the same each day whereas the female hormone cycle is 28 days and goes through multiple phases. You've got menstruation, your follicular phase, ovulation, and your luteal phase. So there's a lot that goes into the female hormone cycle. It's, I mean, it, it simply is more complex. I actually have some t- statistics that I want to present to you guys if you're just tired of hearing that statement of women are being understudied in medicine. Research trials actually were not required to include women until 1993. So a lot of research trials that have occurred in the past that maybe people would consider outdated anyway, but they don't even include women because, or I mean, they, they might, but they weren't required to even include women in any research trials until 1993, which I, I think is crazy. And I think a big part of that is because women were giving different results and a lot of data because our bodies are different, our hormone cycles are different. And I think that they just decided that was too difficult. Fortunately, we are now required to be included in in trials that study the human body. Thank you. Even though we are now included in these trials, and this article is from 2020, less than 2.5% of publicly funded research is dedicated to reproductive health in women. And one in three women will suffer from a reproductive or gynecological health problem in their life. There's five times more research on erectile dysfunction than in premenstrual syndrome, which affects 90% of women. If that doesn't tell you that there is some type of a problem in our healthcare system and what's being taught in medical schools to the medical professionals that we're trusting with our lives, then I don't know what does. I just want to say like my motivation in all of this is mostly to help give you like the knowledge and the tool set to help you be your own advocate and take control of your body health and your future and when you go to the doctor 
having some type of an understanding and showing up to the doctor with the skill set and the knowledge of knowing, hey, I'm coming to you with this problem, but I already know and understand and have done my research. When they say something that maybe you know is not right and is not what you need, you can speak up for yourself. Don't let them have just that power over knowing that you're not as smart as they are. Be your own advocate, stand up for yourself, and make sure that your health and your hormones are prioritized and they're taken into consideration in medical decisions. So like I mentioned for this episode, I really want to talk about hormone imbalances, Um, even though that that information was kind of just a catch-all of how women's health is a little bit overlooked and understudied in medicine, but I mainly wanted to talk about hormonal imbalances. And 80% of women have a hormonal imbalance at some point in their life, and that's just what's reported. I feel like a lot of people don't know or fully understand when they have a hormone imbalance. Some of the symptoms and maybe signs that you have some sort of a hormone imbalance would be weight loss, weight gain, fatigue, depression, anxiety, mood swings, acne, hair loss, dry skin, moist skin, irregular heartbeat, irregular bowel movement, high blood pressure, being cold all the time, being hot all the time. The list goes on and on and on. Those are some of the most basic symptoms and side effects of anything. And if you've ever felt any of those things, you might have some sort of a hormone imbalance, whether it's a big imbalance or just a small imbalance. But hormonal imbalances are something that so many people do not understand or even care about in medicine. And I feel like a lot of doctors don't take that into consideration. Even your gynecologists don't often take that into consideration. And the reason there's so many symptoms and side effects of various hormone imbalances is because your hormones affect so many things in your body. They affect your metabolism, your growth and development, your sexual functions, your sleep cycle, your mood, and so much more. Just overall homeostasis of your body. There are even major conditions that can come from having hormonal imbalances like infertility, thyroid disease, diabetes, PCOS. There's so many things that your hormones affect in your body that can affect you long term or can affect you greatly short term even. And one of the main things I wanted to talk about in this episode that relates to my own personal experience is being prescribed birth control pills as a blanket solution for hormone imbalances that even comes sometimes at a young age. For me personally, I'll say my experience was I went to my gynecologist. It was my mom's gynecologist. I had never been before, but she scheduled me an appointment because I was having really, really bad periods. I was at the point where, you know, I was in middle school or either eighth grade or my freshman year of high school. I can't remember. I was I was 15 years old, 14 or 15. I couldn't even go a full class period without having to change my super plus size tampons because I was bleeding through a tampon in an hour. That was causing me a lot of issues at school. Like I, I couldn't go to to the bathroom and change my tampon between every class period. I, I played sports and at practice, I would have to go to the locker room and change my tampon. So regularly, it was awful. I was miserable. I was stressed all the time. Being on my period really did change. Just when you're on your period, you want it to be something that is, you know, while it's annoying, it's manageable and you can still go about your day-to-day activities in your life. I didn't want to go to dinner with my family when I was on my period. I didn't want to do anything. Going to school sucked because I didn't want to go to the bathroom every time I was in class to go change my tampon, you know, and sorry if that's TMI to any of my male listeners out there. I promise I'm getting to some other things that will relate more to you, but this kind of part of the podcast is more about female hormones and women's health, but that was just very annoying. And so I went to the doctor about it. They, I mean, there was hardly even a discussion about it. He just prescribed me birth control and I left and I went to pick up my prescription and I started birth control that day. He told me that 
if I had any major side effects to come back and he would put me on another brand. So, I mean, obviously there's a few different options for the birth control pill. He basically said that if this one didn't work, we'll just try another one. Not another like option or take a look into maybe what hormone imbalances is causing my periods to be so bad or changing my diet, some type of nutrition or supplementation. It was immediately just like, let's start taking these hormones. And I was, like I said, 14 or 15. I had no clue. I was just like, okay, cool. Like I knew a lot of my friends were on birth control and I was just like, cool. Like, yeah, I've heard of this. And so, I mean, my mom didn't know any better either. Um, my mom actually, like, I was talking to her about it this weekend and she, she actually felt bad. She was like, I feel so bad that I didn't like try to help you out more with that or like know more to kind of stand up for you. And I was like, you know, I, I mean, it's not your fault. I, women are so understudied in medicine. You trust the doctor to make those decisions. And it's not that I blame my doctor for putting me on birth control necessarily. It's because that may have been the best solution for me at the time. But it's the fact that I was so like unaware. I wasn't told that there were any other options. I wasn't, I wasn't given any other options. I mean, he didn't force me to take take it but that was the only thing that was presented to me as a solution and I at this point I was like okay anything to solve my problem and it did it did stop my periods from being so heavy I even actually stopped having a period I I still had my period for a couple years after going on birth control but it was pretty light and then eventually um, after about three years of being on birth control I didn't have another period again I went to my primary care doctor about it my freshman year of college I was 19 at this point so I had been on birth control for four or five years and he told me that I needed to start cycling on and off birth control three months on one month off because I wasn't having a period and he told me that there were some I can't remember exactly what he told me but I believe he told me something like it can be bad and cause a greater risk of ovarian cancer if I'm not shedding my uterine lining so I needed to be having a period like at least once every three or four months so he was telling me basically three months on one month off of the pill in my mind at this point like I'm also considering that doesn't seem effective as a form of birth control there's just a lot of things going on I was like that sounds crazy and when I was doing I did that for about a year and in doing that I constantly felt like my hormones were just out of whack it's like I would be taking this hormonal pill for three months, get regulated on it, go off a month. And I felt like a crazy person for a month because my hormones couldn't figure it out. And then the next month I go back on, still feel crazy. And then I get regulated for about two months. And then it's just a vicious cycle. And it was horrible. And so I just decided to start doing my own research around that time. And in high school, the ages from like 14, 15 to 18, 19, that range of time, I didn't know myself well enough to understand that I might be having brain fog or anxiety. I knew nothing about mental health at the time. I just thought of myself as just like moody teenager. My parents probably thought the same things, but I felt like I wasn't myself and I didn't even know it until I started doing research on my own as I got older and more mature and started just, you know, looking into it on my own. Now, about eight months ago, I went to a new gynecologist and I talked to her after doing my own research about it. I talked to her about wanting to get an IUD put in rather than being on the birth control pill because I just did not feel like myself on the pill. Like I said, I was having brain fog, anxiety. I felt like I wasn't making much progress in the gym. In some ways, I felt like my testosterone was just at zero. Things did not feel Right. And I went to talk to her about it. And I said I wanted to talk about getting an IUD. And then I did get the IUD put in. It is a hormonal IUD, but the difference is, and I'll do another episode sometime about diving deeper into different contraceptive options because I've had a lot of people ask me about the IUD, but the difference is that the hormonal IUD in the name, it, it does still have hormones, but it, they're localized to your uterus rather than being 
systemic and all throughout your body like the birth control pill is whenever you take it it's flowing through your blood and it's in all your cells and everything so um it, it doesn't affect your brain and I, mine's called the Kylena. I say all that to say about the birth control pill that it is not a blanket solution to all hormonal imbalances. Hormonal imbalances can be high cortisol, low cortisol, low pregnenolone, low progesterone, high estrogen, low estrogen, or excess androgens even, which would be things like testosterone, uh, low thyroid, or it could even be a combination of multiple different hormones that are imbalanced and not regulated properly in your body. Taking a birth control pill, which is usually made of estrogen and progestin, may be the solution to your hormone imbalance, and it may have been a good move on your doctor to prescribe that to you. So I'm not trying to say that birth control pills are bad and that they don't work for anyone, but I would say there's a good chunk of the time when that's not the solution and that's not what's imbalanced in your body. I mean, if you've got like issues with high estrogen, then maybe taking estrogen isn't, you know, the solution to your problems. My main suggestion is that if you want to look into maybe if your hormones could be imbalanced and you want to look into pinpointing your issue so that you can educate yourself and know what your issues are and figure out a solution to that, that you should get your blood work done, get your hormones tested, then do your own research, figure out what maybe supplements you need to be taking or different things or options you could consider and then go to your doctor and present those issues and say, hey, I know this. Don't just let them take the reins. Go to them with information. Show that you're prepared, that you know about yourself. You've tested your hormones. You're ready to go and then get their help because I think that there is a lot of misguided information coming from even the doctors that you know, love, and trust out there. But even if you don't want to go get your hormones tested or whatever, if you kind of just want to take a less harsh approach to this, if maybe it's not a huge issue in your life, but it is a kind of a minor inconvenience that you really kind of want to look into, but don't necessarily want to go to the doctor about it right now, don't really care to get it tested or have the money to get it tested, um, I'll give you some like information, like kind of the signs and symptoms of different types of hormone imbalances and you can take this information. And most of the information, by the way, that I get about hormone imbalances, a lot of it comes from Sarah Gottfried's book, The Hormone Cure. It is like one way to put it is it's like the bible of hormones it's a very good book I suggest that you get it and read it well it's not really like a book that you just kind of sit down and read it's more like a uh, encyclopedia to keep it's a it's a good reference I like to reference it a lot um, whenever I and scan through it for more information whenever I talk to people about it because it's hard to remember all of these things and all these different hormones and the different causes of each one I did write these down so some of the most common hormone imbalances and ways that you can tell that that might be your issue if you're feeling like tired but wired and you're storing fat in places a lot easier like around your waist then you might have high cortisol if you're just feeling constantly exhausted and drained you might have low cortisol you can also have high and low cortisol at the same time it's a pretty complex issue low cortisol can also be a result of having high cortisol long term if you're feeling impacted by what i referenced as brain fog earlier sometimes you just can't think the words always on the tip of your tongue but your, your brain is just functioning at like 50 percent speed you're just not who you've always been you're not feeling as sharp as normal. It could be linked to something like ADHD, anxiety, depression in some cases. That can usually be connected to a result of low pregnenolone. If you're having issues with infertility, night sweat, trouble sleeping, your irregular menstrual cycles, that's usually a sign of low progesterone. And I think that is the reason why typically when a young girl, a teenager goes to the doctor presenting with issues of like their periods, like for example, for me, I said it was extremely heavy, people going with bad cramps or 
irregular periods. That's why they t- tend to prescribe birth control because it does have estrogen in it and progestin, and that might be a sign that someone has low progesterone. So I, I get the correlation. It's just not number one and only solution to that issue. If you have tender breasts or cysts, endometriosis, even breast cancer could have been a result of high estrogen in your body. If you're having really bad mood swings, low libido, joint pain, you just don't feel focused, maybe a little bit of that brain fog again could also be a sign of low estrogen. If you're struggling with infertility, acne, excess facial hair, deepening voice, things like that. You could have high androgens such as testosterone. If you're feeling signs of fatigue, another case of that brain fog. If you're having weight gain, constipation, that could be a result of low thyroid. So those are just a few examples. And there's obviously other hormone imbalances. You could also have low androgens such as testosterone. And then like I mentioned, there's a lot of times combinations of hormone imbalances. Uh, An example, someone maybe in their 30s who's having a hard time getting pregnant might have a mix of low progesterone and high androgens. A lot of the time women in going through menopause have low cortisol and high cortisol, so they have a mix of the two fluctuating throughout the day. So there's just a lot of different ways that hormones can be imbalance. There can be a mix and there can be a lot of symptoms and that you may not be realizing are um, actually causes of your hormones not being properly balanced. You may be wondering like causes of hormone imbalances, like why are they out of whack? And a lot of this could just be things that are happening over time with aging. It could be genetics. A huge factor is your nutrition and not getting the proper precursors for hormone production and a lot of the time that is like your micronutrients and vitamin and mineral deficiencies in your body. Another factor could be environmental exposure to toxins and that is just the world that we live in. We are constantly surrounded by chemicals could be related to excess stress and also lifestyle choices. So I would, I'm, I'm trying to give you guys like a 30,000 feet overview of this topic and not dive too deep into it, especially since I'm definitely not the expert on it. I do get a lot of my information, like I said, from Sarah Gottfried's book, The Hormone Cure. So I highly, highly recommend like going and checking that out if you want to read more into the causes of hormone imbalances, the results of hormone imbalances, pinpointing what your imbalances may be and how you can fix it. The main thing that I actually want to talk about, which kind of segues me into the other point of this episode, which is nutrient deficiencies. I want to hit on how you can change your diet and nutrition and supplementation of different nutrients, minerals, vitamins to improve your hormone regulation and your overall health. And like I said, this, of course, this first half of the episode was basically targeted towards women and their health and their hormones. But a lot of the advice I'm going to give in this second half of the episode about nutrition and nutrient deficiencies are very, very applicable to both men and women. But I kind of just, you know, I wanted to kind of tie that in and correlate it to also women's health because it's something that I do talk about a lot on my platform. And I believe that majority of my followers and my audience are women. So, Some of the most common nutrient deficiencies are vitamin A, B, C, D, calcium, magnesium, and zinc, as well as essential fatty acids, omega-3s, omega-6s, 
obvious benefits to taking some sort of a micronutrient multivitamin supplement. I will link the one that I take. I take a microfactor, which has micronutrients, probiotics, fruits and veggies blend, go fat, which is healthy fat um, part and an antioxidant in it. It's a supplement I take every single day in the morning. One scoop, mix it in with my drink and just chug it. So I make sure that I'm getting all of those things in. I recommend that everyone take some sort of a like a micronutrient overall health supplement like that. Mine's from First Form. So the nutrient deficiency that I really want to hit on in this episode is magnesium. If you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me post about it a lot, but I mainly want to share about this because this was a nutrient deficiency that I had that in my experience changed my life once I started supplementing it and realizing that I was lacking it. I first found out that I might be lacking magnesium from listening to a podcast. Something that was mentioned was that people who are taking oral contraceptives like the birth control pill it is depleting their bodies of magnesium and I started doing some research into the benefits of magnesium and I found that it can help with anxiety it can help with your brain function your bone health your heart health sleeping a multitude of benefits and the fact that I was likely deficient in magnesium was concerning to me because I know that taking birth control for so long I did find that it had suppressed my testosterone extremely low and coming off birth control that's something that I was working to get back in check I mostly followed nutritional changes and supplemental changes. Um, I was supplementing zinc, but I think that really and truly just coming off of birth control and switching to, or coming off of the birth control pill and switching to a different birth control method of having the IUD did kind of change that around for me. But I think once I started consistently supplementing magnesium, I saw a big change in my sleep. I was able to fall asleep and stay asleep. And obviously magnesium is not a sleep supplement, so you can take it morning or night, but I just noticed that it helped with like relaxing my brain. It helped a lot with anxiety. I never had extreme extreme anxiety I was never like prescribed I've never been prescribed anxiety medication or anything like that but I always have had a little bit of anxiety and I think a lot of it is correlated with my ADHD a TMI side effect is I think it helped regulate my bowel movements a lot more I literally never struggled with constipation I know that that is part of the magnesium citrate that is in the magnesium that I take is in multi-source magnesium so dimagnesium malate magnesium oxide magnesium aspartate magnesium bisglycinate magnesium glycinate and magnesium citrate all of those different types of magnesium have different benefits for the body. I tend to recommend magnesium glycinate for the anxiety benefits if you're just looking for a sole source of magnesium, but everyone has different benefits. So if you want something that's going to benefit you in more ways through the mental and physical relaxation aspects, cardiovascular health, bone health, sleep aid, gut health and regulating your bowel movements benefits, I would recommend getting something that's multi-source that has magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate, something like that. This one has six different sources. This is from First One. I'll also put this in the link of the description of the podcast. I will say that magnesium did change a lot for me personally, and I've shared a lot about that, but I've also been lately seeing a lot come out about magnesium helping people with anxiety. I've seen people who have stopped taking their anxiety medications and just instead started supplementing magnesium and vitamin D together and they feel better than they felt when they were taking a medication from the doctor. Um, I did find a study that 19 to 34% of patients with depression do not respond to antidepressants and 15 to 50% of those who do experience a relapse. So depression medications and pharmaceutical companies are something that uh, has bugged me for a while. Not just depression medications, but just pharmaceutical companies and the medications that they push on us rather than promoting a healthier diet and supplements and just getting all the nutrients that you need in your body and they don't ever focus on nutrient 
deficiencies and that's something else that's an issue that I have with hormone imbalances as well as just other mental health conditions is they don't look at the root of the problem and instead they just try to put a band-aid solution on it that big pharma can benefit from financially. I could rant about that for days. But regardless, there's so many things that could cause magnesium deficiencies. And actually, there are, I want to say it's something around 75% of people are deficient in magnesium, which is actually crazy. Um, And it's something that I didn't realize whenever I started to realize that I might be deficient in it. I didn't realize how common it was for so many people to be deficient in magnesium. There are a lot of causes of it. If you've ever taken or are taking antibiotics, if you ever drink alcohol, if you've ever been on blood pressure medication, those are things that can all deplete your body of magnesium. So there's a good chance that you have a magnesium deficiency if you ever have taken or do take any of those medications. Um, Birth control is another one that wasn't on this study that I'm referencing right now, but that's something that I did find was causing magnesium deficiency for me. I just find it very peculiar that doctors and pharmaceutical companies will be so quick to prescribe anxiety medication and Um, like antidepressants for these mental health conditions before they even try to ask about what's your diet like? What are you supplementing? Have you tried supplementing this? Have you tried changing this in your diet? I really believe that if you make the effort to identify deficiencies in your body, you will be able to turn your life around faster, more effectively long-term for long-term happiness and overall health without taking these medications. And while I'm on this topic about the pharmaceutical companies and just kind of ranting about it, y'all should go watch, like there's a few different documentaries about the opioid crisis. I recently watched, which it's not a documentary, but it's like a show that was based on this true stories of um, the opioid epidemic called painkiller I've heard it's actually not even the best one that there's so many more documentaries that are really good about it I haven't watched them all but I would love to but essentially they just talk about how corrupt the pharmaceutical industry is so that was honestly a big push for me to want to get into reading more and more about uh, about diet changes and supplementation because the pharmaceutical industry cannot they cannot profit off of supplementation because supplements are not regulated by the pharmaceutical industry and they cannot profit off of telling you to change your diet and make sure that you're getting these micro nutrients in and getting these vitamins and these minerals into your diet, it will change things for you. They don't tell you that because they do not make money off of telling you that. Instead, they say, oh, you have ADHD, go take Vyvanse, which by the way, for the record, I do take Vyvanse. I want to start looking into more natural dietary changes and supplement changes that might help with that because I do struggle from ADHD. But anxiety is one thing that I have been able to solve for myself without getting medicated because I have started to supplement vitamin D as well as magnesium in my diet. My testosterone was something that I was able to help fix by supplementing zinc and changing things in my diet. As a kid, I took antibiotics so many times because I had ear infections. Um, I had something wrong with my ears when I was younger and I was constantly being prescribed antibiotics. For, for So for years and years of my life, I would get sick probably six to seven times a year. And then obviously when you're sick, you go to the doctor and they prescribe you antibiotics. I was taking antibiotics so much, I was destroying my immune system over and over and over again because they could sell me these antibiotics. And what happens when you continue to take antibiotics? Your immune system gets worse and worse at fighting off infections on its own. So you just get sicker and sicker and sicker and you have to take more and more and more antibiotics. I stopped taking antibiotics and I wasn't like constantly taking antibiotics, but I would say that I was at least taking them a couple times a year because I was getting sick so often. So I started doing research on this around my freshman year of high school and 
learning about really it was whenever I got to college and I was biology minor I was pre-med chemical engineering and um, I took some classes on and I just kind of briefly learned about which I learned some of this in high school too but didn't really care in high school I was more just studying to make good grades on my test but um, in college I started learning about basically how taking antibiotics can cause your body to not be able to create those antibodies on its own and, and fight off infections on its own so I stopped cold turkey every time I got sick I did not go to the doctor because I knew they would prescribe me antibiotics so unless I was like on my deathbed I was not going to the doctor I have not been I have not taken antibiotics since then a single time for any reason and I have been sick one time and it was when I got COVID last summer my body did not have antibodies built up for that COVID variation that was going on so I did get COVID I did get sick but that is the one time I've been sick in five years since stopping taking um, antibiotics I mean I did get sick a few times after stopping taking them but then my body began to build immunity and learn to fight off those infections with its own antibodies. So that's not me saying don't go to the doctor when you're sick, don't take antibiotics ever. Everyone has a different journey and a different experience with taking care of their health, but I just wanted to throw that out there. That's another example of how the pharmaceutical industry is trapping you into taking medications rather than just being responsible for your own body, dietary, nutrition changes, and prioritizing your overall health rather than just relying on medications that they can sell to you constantly. I also want you guys to listen to this TikTok. Um, from this creator she's basically giving some information on the magnesium deficiencies that a lot of people in the world are struggling with and the benefits of supplementing it and I just wanted to like instead of regurgitating information I'm just gonna like play it for you guys because I think it's super um, important to listen to of course she starts the TikTok off by saying like uh, I have debated talking about this uh, this is a conspiracy theory that no one's talking about but um, it is very interesting and it's says a lot of the things that I've been thinking and wanting to know more about when it comes to magnesium. So I just wanted to like share it with you guys. I did post this on my story one time, but um, here you go. Baited talking about this conspiracy theory on TikTok because I am genuinely scared that I'm going to get in trouble for this, but nobody's talking about it. So I need to do it. The leading cause of death in the United States is heart disease, and it takes out close to 700,000 people every single year. Keep this fact in the back of your mind as I continue on. In my research on magnesium, I stumbled upon some very interesting studies that have the possibility of completely turning the medical and pharmaceutical industries on their head. This could put a serious dent in their profits, if you know what I mean. That's why I'm so hesitant to say this. It all started in 1957 in Japan, when a researcher noticed a relationship between soft water and heart disease. He noticed that the areas of the country that drank mineral-rich hard water had a much lower incidence of heart disease. Studies like this have been repeated over and over and over again. And the findings are all the same. The research shows that people who get adequate magnesium are less likely to have cardiovascular disease. Okay, so it continues and I'll continue playing it in a second, but I wanted to pause there. I just find it very interesting that our water supply is actually being depleted of essential nutrients and Y'all, I've mentioned this before. I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist, but I 100% believe this. I, I don't know if it was necessarily in their control or intentional, but I definitely believe that the water supply now versus where it is in other places and in the past is different and lacks the nutrients that it had in it before. And that's a big problem with our, I mean, we are like living in such a diseased world in the sense of like cancer is so common. So many diseases are so common and people having deficiencies and not being healthy and obesity. And there's just, there's issues. There's so many issues in the overall health of our world. And um, I find it very interesting that she mentioned that a cause of that could be even just, I mean, I think we all know that there are are issues in the food that we get from the grocery stores and like pesticides and you know to hear that it could be that we're consuming are affected all the way down to our freaking water supply it's it's that's crazy to me but anyway i'll keep playing this 
And I'm not talking just a little bit. Magnesium reduces sudden cardiac death by 77%. And are you guys ready for this? Look what magnesium does for all heart issues, for cancer, and overall mortality. And I'm not even going to get into all that today. So let's just focus on the number one cause of death in the United States. That's heart disease, which is a $219 billion industry. Meanwhile, we have research like this that looked at 313,000 people and they overwhelmingly saw that low magnesium was tied to cardiovascular disease. Also found that when you raise your magnesium levels, your risk goes down. Here's the thing that you need to know. Magnesium cannot be turned into a prescription drug because it's naturally found in our water and our food, which means the pharmaceutical industry can't profit off of it, so they want nothing to do with it. And yet, we continue to be told that our heart issues can only be solved with prescription medications that cost thousands of dollars instead of, I don't know, fixing the underlying magnesium deficiency that causes our problems. Keep in mind that 70% of Americans fail to get enough magnesium in their diet right now. That means that seven out of 10 people are walking around magnesium deficient. Imagine what would happen in our society, our medical institutions, and our own financial situations if we just got more magnesium. So I found that video very interesting because she said a lot of the things that I've already said earlier in the podcast episode, which are things that I've been preaching since I think around last November on my story. Magnesium is just now starting to become more popular as a dietary supplement. But if that many people are deficient in magnesium, like I said, there are causes. There are things that can cause people to be more deficient in magnesium, such as drinking alcohol, taking birth control pills, taking antibiotics, taking other medications, um, and then just other lifestyle choices and stuff that deplete your body of magnesium, along with the fact that apparently there is less magnesium in our water sources, our foods are becoming more and more processed. I just think that this is an important nutrient that so many people are deficient in that I love to talk about and I love to promote because I've seen so many people who have started to supplement magnesium. I've seen it turn their life around. And I actually want to play you guys another video and I'll link both of these TikToks on this podcast so that I can give these creators credit. Um, this creator, Tyler, oh, sorry. This creator, Tyler Wesley, posted this video, which I also shared on my story, about how magnesium glycinate and vitamin D3, he used them and combined them to combat his anxiety issues. But I'll just, I'll just play the video for you. Hey, I know I don't have a lot of followers, but i um, huge sufferer of anxiety, and uh, somebody had recommended that I start taking magnesium to try to fix it. Uh, 500 milligrams once a day. Apparently, it doesn't work if you don't take vitamin D, so take that as well, one a day. Um, I don't have anxiety anymore. 30 years, anxiety my whole life. I don't have it anymore. Try it. I'm not a medical professional. Don't don't take medical advice from me, but try it. Yeah. And then I literally was scrolling, and like three videos down, I found this stitch to the video from this creator. Dude, I've been suffering with anxiety like my whole life. I'm prescribed like SSRIs and Klonopin. When I take Klonopin, I feel so much better. I don't feel high. I just feel normal. Dude, I tried this magnesium this guy was talking about, and the D3 has to be magnesium glycinate. I have it up here. This. I only take 200 milligrams. Dude, I feel I feel like I took a Klonopin. Like, I feel fine. I feel normal. I have no anxiety. I, I take this and D3. Let me show you. Just because at the store, I didn't know exactly what to get. I got magnesium glycinate, 200 milligrams, and D3. And I feel like I just took clonopin. Isn't that crazy? Why did the doctor not try to get me to try this first before? 
Yeah, why did the doctor not try to get you to take a supplement or change your diet before he had you start taking a prescription drug that the pharmaceutical industry profits off of? Or he prescribed me any of this stuff. I mean, I ain't complaining, but this stuff is like, for me, it's working. I've been on this stuff for like four days, and every single day, I have not had any anxiety. I haven't taken, like, Klonopin. I haven't had any panic attacks or any anxiety attacks. Dude, this stuff is good. And those two videos on TikTok were people who obviously struggled with anxiety and the benefits that that provided for them. But y'all, the, the benefits of magnesium go beyond that. As the first video that I played for y'all said, it helps so much with your cardiovascular health. If you have trouble sleeping, that is the benefit that I've actually seen the most from it. And also my boyfriend, he, um, every night, he's like, this stuff helps me sleep so much. This, he didn't believe me when I first started taking it. I'd be like, do you want some magnesium? He's like, I don't know what that does. I'm like, do you not watch my Instagram stories? I post about it all the time. He's like, no. <laughs> he, uh, he finally started, I got him to start taking it and he loves it. It helps him sleep every night. So I just wanted to, I know that I kind of just got off on a, I kind of got off on a tangent just talking about magnesium when I really wanted to talk about all nutrient deficiencies. And maybe I will make another episode where I dive deeper into other deficiencies like zinc and vitamin D and iron but um like I said I I just have done the most research on magnesium it's one that I've seen significant benefits and life changes from and I've seen so many other people have testimonies to how it has improved their life and their health so that's the one I really wanted to hit on the most and share with you guys so definitely going to dive deeper into these topics on another date but I think I gave a good overview I think I presented some information that can maybe help you learn about it apply it to your life and the way that you feel and your own situation use all that information so that if you need to go to the doctor you can be your own advocate for your own health and stand up for yourself don't just let yourself get prescribed um, medications that you're going to have to pay for and really aren't working long term or actually fixing an issue they're just like putting a band-aid on it for the moment a lot of the time these medications that you're being prescribed could be addictive. They could form a reliance on these medications and they also may cause other effects long-term and they may even have side effects to them. For the most part, most supplements, most nutrients and vitamins and things like that, they do not have side effects. So, I mean, some, some do, but most do not, whereas medications most of the time are going to have some adverse side effects and a lot of the time they just brush over those. I mean, have you ever seen like a commercial for any medication ever on a TV advertisement, how they, they uh, talk about the benefits and how life-changing it is and at the very end of it, they ramble on in like 2x speed about how this could cause increase of heart disease and it could cause cancer and it could cause like so many different things cause weight gain and anxiety and it's like okay so what what does this medication what benefit does it provide so I don't I don't know I just have a lot of issues with that I have a lot of issues with the healthcare system that we have at least in America here not informing people entirely of all of their options and things that maybe should be solutions that you turn to first before turning to medication and nutrient deficiencies is typically the number one root issue to a lot of health problems. So that kind of wraps up what I wanted to talk about today. Remember that is so important to prioritize your health so that you can have long-term sustainable happiness in your life. Before I actually log off today, I do want to answer some questions because I did post on my Instagram story that I was going to do a Q&A at the end of this episode. And some of these questions are very unrelated to the topic that I talked about today, but I did want to just do a Q&A because I haven't dedicated a full episode to that yet. So I'm going to pull it up and answer some questions that I have. So one of the first questions that was, what nutrition certifications do you have? So I currently have not finished my nutrition certification I did try to start my 
personal trainer certification before I started coaching or within a couple weeks of starting my coaching business. But I've been kind of slowly going through my nutrition certification and also doing some research on my own because I think it's extremely beneficial to take things that you learn, research those topics in depth. So I've been trying to go a lot slower through my nutrition certification than I did through my personal trainer certification. I am very close to being done, but it is the advanced nutrition certification by action. So a lot of it goes hand in hand with the personal trainer certification that I got. And I enjoy that part of the course, but there are definitely things that I feel I have gotten so much more benefit from doing research on my own. I think it's important to have certifications to prove and to kind of have that that credibility when you're a coach and you're giving people advice. I am close to finishing my nutrition certification. I have gotten my personal trainer certification. I do want to say that just because someone has a certification does not mean that they're fit to give you advice. And I can say that because I went through the personal trainer course and I'm currently going through my nutrition certification course, a lot of the information is very surface level. It is base knowledge. It's good to have certification does give you credibility, but it does not mean that that person is really giving you the best advice. So so I'm not saying that I'm the most educated, most smartest person out there in the whole entire world to give nutrition advice, but I will say that I have done ample research on my own of very different topics that are not covered in the course of getting a nutrition certification. Another question I got is pure curiosity, why do you do sumo deadlift? So um, when it comes down to deadlifting, I feel like a lot of people, and it's always the people who are not actually in powerlifting or seriously competitive, like lifters of any sort, who hate on sumo deadlifting. They're like, sumo's cheating and this and that. The truth is that sumo is not always harder for everybody or is not always easier for everybody. It is easier for me because sumo fits my leverages. I've got strong legs, I've got strong glutes and I'm, I'm shorter and it, it decreases my range of motion. Sumo just simply fits my proportions better and actually my proportions are not bad for conventional. I just, I started doing sumo before I started doing conventional so I was I've just always been stronger in sumo because I've trained it longer but I also have lower back issues I've injured my lower back like three or four times and it's usually an SI joint issue so doing sumo kind of eliminates that factor of how much load is on my lower back so that is a good benefit for me in doing sumo over conventional but there are a lot of people who cannot do sumo deadlift because their proportions of their body just don't let them like get into that position and their leverages are just not good that way and there are a lot of people who are just a lot stronger in conventional so it really is whenever you compete in a sport like powerlifting it's just about what way are you stronger because of your leverage and how your body is proportioned and for me it's sumo. Um, Another question that I got that actually is related to the topic of this podcast is how do I know what nutrients I am currently lacking. You can get a vitamin deficiency test, um, get your nutrient levels, your vitamin and mineral levels and stuff checked in your blood through finger prick tests or um, getting your blood drawn. But you don't always have to get it tested to know that you might be deficient in nutrients. Usually if you're having any general symptoms of fatigue or hair loss or low energy, dizziness, weakness, there is a good chance that you have some sort of a nutrient deficiency because that's probably the first sign rather than just assuming that you have like a chronic illness or disease. And even if you are sick, there's a good chance that it was caused by a nutrient deficiency. One way of knowing like things that you should supplement or nutrients that you should be getting in is also to look and check your hormone levels. So like if you have high cortisol, you may need to supplement vitamin C or you may need to supplement L-theanine or omega-3s. If you've got low estrogen, you might need to supplement like maca root or magnesium oxide. 
Um, there's just different things. Vitamin E is something else that is often recommended to be supplemented with low estrogen. So you could also get your hormones checked and find what hormones are imbalanced and that can help pinpoint your nutrient deficiencies as well. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the book, The Hormone Cure by Sarah Gottfried, that is like one of the best resources that I have ever found for finding what nutrients, vitamins, supplements you should take based on what nutrient deficient or based on what hormone imbalances you might have. And in that book, let me grab the book real quick. All of it is in the appendix. In appendix A, there is like the the coolest chart ever for multiple, multiple pages that gives just lots of information on uh, this exact topic. So it's definitely, I, I hate to like continue saying like, do your own research whenever I'm literally doing a podcast to kind of tell you how, but it would take hours for me to go over what different things you should supplement that you might be deficient in based on different hormonal imbalances. And there, most of the information I get is from that book. Someone else asked about my step count. So I'm right now, I'm really like not specifically focusing on steps, but I have found that 10,000 steps a day is a really good number to shoot for because if you are getting 10,000 steps in, then you're definitely getting a good amount of zone two cardio in, which I've mentioned before in other episodes, you should be getting like 150 to 200 minutes a week of zone two cardio, which is that cardio where it's just basically like going on a walk. It's not anything intense. Could be just walking around doing day-to-day activities. And I've, I've found that about 10,000 steps a day can get you to that same level. So I don't necessarily have a step count and I don't force myself to stick to it every day. Some days I don't even wear my watch to know what my step count is, but I would say on a good day where I'm getting the right amount of movement in that I try to get each day, it is about 10,000. And that's a number that I recommend my clients to shoot for as well. And then another question I got is best advice for singles. So I think you meant like probably like singles for powerlifting, whatever you're going for, just a heavy like one rep lift attempt. So I would say that your mindset is the most important thing. So if you are going into anything, doesn't matter if it's squat, bench or deadlift, and you're not focused and you're not really like paying attention to everything that you're doing, that throws it off so much. I have a hard time focusing sometimes. And so getting in the right headspace is the most important thing for me. Like whenever I'm having a bad day at the gym, it's super crowded and I had to like wait a long time for a squat rack. I find that my singles are always worse that day. When you're warming up, imagine every rep is your top single. It is your heaviest set. Just Try to go through the motions and imagine that you're lifting that weight every time and try to do the exact same thing every rep leading up to your heavy single. If you're doing that, there's less of a chance that your form's going to break down once you get to heavier weight because that, that's definitely like the downfall of heavy singles is when your form breaks down every time that you start putting more weight on the bar. You're never going to be able to improve and push past like a plateau if at a certain point your form just you know continues to break down a lot of it's just about mindset I would also say like I, I do this a lot whenever I deadlift and whenever I squat like when I squat as soon as I get it off the rack all I'm thinking about is how heavy this is and how this is a number that like I maybe a number I haven't hit before or the last time I did this it was a really sh- like big struggle like quit thinking about the number that's loaded on the bar whenever you're doing it try to think that you don't know how much is on the bar or think about like for me my squat max is 300 and sometimes whenever I'm going for something like close to that like 280 285 290 or even 300 I I just tell myself I'm like it's 225 this is just 225 and I, I just say that over and over in my head like this is no different so again that kind of just goes back to it's like a mindset at least for me powerlifting is such a mental game for me so most of my advice around that is is all going to be things that are mental and another question that I got is bulking advice how to do it healthily mental barriers when and how much to increase so I would say with bulking, um, this is another thing that is a big mental battle um, because every time that I've ever bulked 
I'm good with it. I'm doing good until I start. I'm like, I get about a week in and I start to see that my body no longer looks how it looked before. And I think that everyone who does bulk goes through that a little bit, but you have to just have your mindset focused on what the outcome is going to be, the end goal. So don't forget the end goal while you're in the journey. Remember that you have goals that you want to reach and that if going through a bulk is what's necessary for you to reach your progress, just remind yourself that you won't be able to reach those goals without going through a tough phase. And then I would say as far as how to do it healthily, um, when you're bulking, that doesn't just mean start eating Cheez-Its and Gushers and cupcakes for dinner. Yeah, you can definitely gain weight that way. Absolutely, you can. But that's what I would consider a dirty bulk. So I would try to make sure that you're eating the same things you were eating when you were cutting. Maybe not the same things because there's some substitutions that I make personally whenever I'm cutting that are just lower calorie options. But eat nutrient-dense foods, similar foods that you would eat when you're maintaining or cutting, but just in higher portions. An example that I like to reference is when I'm cutting, I eat a lot of ground beef and potatoes because potatoes are less calorically dense than rice. And then when I'm bulking, I'll eat rice and potato or rice and beef. So um, substituting rice for potatoes when I'm in a bulk versus a cut, just because you don't have to eat a lot of rice for it to be calorically dense and you can eat lots of potatoes and feel more full for less calories, less carbs. I would also say like whenever I'm cutting, I like to, I like to volumize my foods with vegetables, put a lot of peppers and onions and broccoli and green beans and things like that in my meals to make them, to make me stay more full with lower calorie options. And it's not that I take vegetables out of my diet when I'm bulking, but I don't quite do that as much because I try to make the higher calorie foods the main thing. So increase the rice, but maybe keep the vegetables the same amount. If you're eating a ton of vegetables in a bulk, you're going to feel full all the time. That's not a lot of calories. So it's going to make it harder to eat the amount that maybe you need to make. So like maybe get your vegetables in in a smoothie. Um, like a protein shake throw in some spinach or I mean still have vegetables with your meals but when we're in when we're talking about increasing portion sizes increase the rice but not the veggies and so on as far as when and how much to increase I would say that this is like heavily dependent on you and your goals and how like like fast that you're planning on bulking up but for the most part just to keep the most balanced mental state about it for me personally I would try to always do a slower bulk so whatever your maintenance is I would start with like a couple hundred calories higher than that and eat at that for a few months and and track your progress track your weight each week and see how quickly you're increasing and how much that's impacting you and if you're hardly gaining any weight bump it up it, it really just depends like if you're if you're trying to bulk up in three months you may need to increase your calories weekly or bi-weekly um not by week, weekly or every other week. Um, and if you've got like a long-term slow bulk in mind, then I would maybe increase your calories monthly and increase them by just a couple hundred each time. It, it really depends on it. Unless you have a coach to help you navigate it, you're just going to have to take the time and make the effort to monitor your change in weight versus your change in calories. Collect data over time, watch it change, and then make change, changes to your protocol. So I think that's all the questions that I got. I didn't get as many questions as I expected, but that's okay because this episode ended up being a lot longer than I expected. But thank y'all to everyone who asked questions to give me some more to talk about, even the things that were not related to the podcast at all. I think it helps kind of throw in something different into the topic of discussion. So that pretty much concludes everything that I wanted to cover today. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode and I hope you all have a great rest of the week. I will see y'all next Thursday.